Welcome to the Women on the Rise podcast. I'm Jen Blandos, and this is where we talk about everything entrepreneurship, whether you are just getting started or you have a seven or an eight figure business. I bring you the latest insights, ideas, and inspirations and interviews with the most amazing female entrepreneurs. So it will inspire and motivate you to build the business of your dreams. Welcome to another episode of Women on the Rise. And today we are speaking about all things legal. Now, I know a lot of times when people hear the word legal and lawyer that they think it can be quite boring. But today I have on the show probably the coolest, most fun lawyer that you will ever meet. And she makes law a little bit fun. I am joined by none other than Bianca Gracias, who is the founder of Crimson Legal and a few other businesses as well, which she will tell us about as we go through the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Bianca. Thank you very much. I almost feel a bit pressured now to do some stand-up comedy while I'm at it. Well, I think we will get you to tell a few jokes towards the end of the the episode. Why not? <laughs> Why not? So you are you are a lawyer. You are based in Dubai and you have a, a law firm in Dubai. But although you are practicing here in Dubai and also in Abu Dhabi, so you're practicing in the whole country, I wanted to talk to you more about... Um, legal and law in general. So this episode will be relevant for our members globally, not just those who are based in the UAE. How exciting. I'm yes. looking forward to discussing this with you. Yes. Well, we're going to nerd out when it comes to the law. <laughs> and try to make it fun as well. Yes. Well, law can be fun, especially when it saves you money. Yes. Absolutely. Or makes you money. Or makes, I think both. I think yes. law does both for you. It's just perspective, right? Yeah. We need to get business owners to look at it in the right perspective. And come to lawyers or go to lawyers before it's too late. 100%. Now, before we get into all of the legal stuff, I want to talk a bit about you. And I want people to know a little bit about you and some of the things that you do. So you've been a lawyer for a number of years in the UAE. Maybe you could tell everybody a bit about your your background. Sure. Um, I've been around for about 19 years now in the UAE. UAE is practically home for me. I build my business or businesses here rather. So my primary business is Crimson Legal, which is licensed in the Abu Dhabi global markets. And we function in the UAE. UAE is our home. So everything and anything relating to corporate, commercial, transactional, legal is bread and butter for us. Then we have Suits and Advisors, which which is a strategy and business consultancy where we advise on cross-border acquisitions, particularly in the microfinance industry or segment rather. And then we have our little baby, which is called Obsecure Technologies, which is a little fintech startup that we are just about launching um, in the fintech sector out of the DIFC. So many businesses. I don't know how you have time to do it all. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. It keeps me inspired. You know, when I, especially when I'm um, working with SME owners on a daily basis, they inspire me. Yeah. How couldn't I set up another business? Definitely. But do you know the, the thing that some people don't know about you as well that I think is so cool is not only do you have like all the serious business side, but you're also a wellness practitioner as well, which is like things I didn't know about Bianca and so maybe tell everybody a little bit about that and about what you do in that space as well. So I try and keep that under wraps because I never really know how many people believe in that because I'm a lawyer at one end I have to believe in black and white and there is this other side of me where I believe in kindness and goodness and energy I can actually feel energy when a person walks into a room I can tell you characteristics about that person when I enter into a negotiation, it actually helps me, right? I know exactly yeah. what I need to say, what I shouldn't say, etc. So reading, balancing energies has been a long time um, calling for me, if you will. And I've loved doing it for a very, very long time. I believe in good deeds and spreading kindness. And this is something I also inculcate in the work that we do on the legal side, believe it or not. Well, and I... I think you're you're quite well known as well um, as being very supportive for small businesses, especially female-owned small businesses, that you are someone who steps in and provides a lot of support, um, a lot of free information to people. You know, it, it's almost like if I can answer your question in a couple of minutes, I'll answer your question in a couple of minutes rather than make you pay me for a one-hour consultation, which I think is very 
kind in itself and it's putting out so much good into the world for small businesses when they might be scared of lawyers or making that investment to be able to support them with that as well. I support businesses, especially first-time entrepreneurs, all the time. I'd rather give them that advice in two minutes or five minutes, like you rightly said. You know me very well. I do. So I'd rather give them that advice to help them, support them, and get them on their way. Because I think knowledge sharing is everything. If I can help support a business be compliant, help get them set up in the right way, why shouldn't I? Because if I were in their shoes, I'd be grateful if someone did that to me. Absolutely. And Okay, we're going to, before we talk about law, I want to talk about something else, which is networking. Um, because this is the, this this is kind of touching on the area of networking, and you are someone who I see, and I'm constantly watching all of our members, and I see business owners all over the world, and I find that you are somebody who I notice as being a very savvy networker. You really understand how to to network, and almost as as the saying is, you know, you work through the room you network through the room rather than to the room so um that means that you know you're you're connecting with people you're helping people you're supporting people rather than turning up and being like hey i'm bianca gracias and i could be your lawyer here is my business card (laughs) it's funny you say that i don't give my business cards out typically i just go and introduce myself always by my first name it's about building bonds so whenever i go to any event or networking meetup, I try and build connections and bonds, get to know people genuinely, ask about their interests and their hobbies, what they like to do for work and outside of work, and just get to know them generally, whether they like pets. I like pets too, so we have something in common to talk about. And just getting to know people and their businesses better, and if I can help connect them with somebody in my network, I will do that. Because networking for me is about building connections and people always remember how you made them feel. Always. Correct. But what I find really interesting, because I see I see everything. And I will have complaints from people and go, that event was terrible. I didn't get any business from that. Or I didn't like that online meetup because I wanted to, you know, make three connections of people who would buy from me and I didn't do that. And that to me, when I see that is the wrong way to network. Um, But we're not taught how to network. So we don't know what networking should be like. So what advice would you give to those people who are maybe turning up and handing out their business cards or saying, that was terrible. I went to this, you know, business council event and I got no business. I wasted my money. I don't go looking for business. So when you go to events, don't expect to get your next big deal at the event that you're going to. Don't go with expectations like that because 10 times out of 10, you will get let down. You're going to build connections. And remember, people give you business when they trust you, when they like you. So when you go out to networking events, the goal should just be to meet good people, build connections. And over time, you will create that bond of trust. Once they trust you, they'll refer work to you. Work Mm. will come. It will come over time. It will come naturally. And that's that's what you want, a natural referral or recommendation. I like that, the the bond of trust. That's, That's really what it is, isn't it? And I see that even in the way that you engage online. Again, it's very different that somebody will ask a question and you'll see some people, let's say a legal question, and you'll have people that will be like, I can help you DM me. I can help you. Here's my mobile number. Um, My law firm is the best. Here's the link to my website. We can sort this for you. And then you come in there and you're like, Let me give you the answer. And you actually take the time and write a couple of paragraphs and answer somebody's question. What makes you take that different approach? A couple of things. And thank you for noticing to start with. Um, A lot of people think they can come on Facebook groups and get all the free advice in the world, but it really doesn't work that way. And the reason why I take the approach of giving them a few nuggets of information is just to help them understand that getting a legal perspective is so much more than just writing a few paragraphs 
on a Facebook page. It, it takes a lot of um, experience, should I say, to get that information, put the pieces together and actually make it work. The legal advice for a situation could always differ from another situation that you think is identical. Yeah. It's quite different from situation to situation. So the reason why I try and give as much as information is so I can help them understand that these are two or three perspectives you could have in your situation. You could look at these, but then if you need further detailed information, which obviously would be confidential to their case, they're always welcome to reach out to me. And like you said earlier, I'm more than happy to have complimentary consultations, especially with members in our network. I love that, that you are always willing to help female fusion members. And that is that that shows a lot of your generosity, that you're always providing those free consultations and extra discounts because it is so hard for people to have businesses when they're starting out. So when it when it comes down to that as well, I think, too, that um, people think that they can get the quick answer on Facebook. But as you said, you know, there's so much more to that but I think it is really nice like if if you're looking for somebody and also as well if you're going through the search afterwards that maybe you have a similar problem and you search and you see that person's question and all of those replies and there's been the DM me's I can help you my law firm's the best and then there's Bianca who's been thoughtful and given three paragraphs you know okay it maybe took you five minutes to go and craft that but if I was looking for a law firm to help me with a similar situation or lawyer, that I would feel much more confident reaching out to you as opposed to somebody who's just super lazy and goes and writes, DM me, I can help you. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. Yeah, and if you notice, I also never, never say that I might, this is the name of my law firm. Yeah. Or I never give out my email address. Yeah. It's always a very personal connection for me. And I say, this is my mobile number. Yeah. Call me or WhatsApp me. I'm a qualified lawyer. I'm an experienced lawyer. I will help you the best I can. I don't want to market myself or put myself out there because I'm genuinely trying to help. It's yeah. not about marketing my services. Yeah. And I think that's something that people in any industry can learn from. And I do the same thing as well, right? That I will never go and write, hey, you know, I run Female Fusion. Here's the link to go and join our membership. Like as much as I would love to have people be members the thing is as well is that you look at that and you're like look here's somebody who genuinely has a problem my knowledge I can share it in five minutes is going to help somebody with a serious problem or you know my words of wisdom will help motivate them to realize that actually they're going in the right direction or they've they sh could do this or that with their time and that's quite important to do that as well but I think people are afraid to do that because they think well I'm giving away information for free why should I do that um, and you know if I'm going to give away information for free I should go and promote myself it's just the wrong outlook to have because when you help somebody it always comes back that's the rule of karma or that's the rule right. of the nature or universe how it works right yeah good good deeds always come around yeah well, I, and I even had somebody the other day ask me if I would deliver a masterclass to their community. And he said to me, he's like, um, so the benefit of you delivering the masterclass is you can sell whatever you want and I'll give you like half an hour to sell what you want. And I said to him, I'm like, if I give a masterclass for your community, I'm not selling anything. I'll use that half an hour and I will teach them something. I have no interest in coming in and selling if I can help that's great and then if they look at that and go oh my gosh she's amazing like female fusion is amazing great look me up contact me message me on LinkedIn or Facebook or you know go to the female fusion website that's all I care about and to me that's much more authentic in a way I think and, that, and on that point, Jen, on being salesy and having a salesy approach, I also want to say the one thing that we don't do, and I, I'm sure you'll resonate with this because you run your business in a very ethical way, the way I do, yeah. um, we, don't, we don't do any commissions. So whenever we refer work to anybody or we recommend somebody, I know it's kind of a trend sometimes with business owners that they want to give commissions or they ask for commissions. Yeah. We don't do commissions. We don't like it. If we recommend somebody, we do it 
purely because we think they're good. Correct. I never, it's actually interesting that I've had people contact me and say, if you refer us, we'll give you, we'll give you money or let's come up with a deal. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting involved in that. I want to support you or I've experienced your service or whatever else. That's fine. If there is, I mean, one thing we do, which is maybe slightly different, is there like a few products or services that we use where we are what's called affiliates for them and we will get given a percentage for referring. But then if we do that, that is something that we always communicate. So for example, Kajabi, Kajabi is very generous with their affiliate program and we do a lot of training for members and non-members to help them build an online business because we feel that that is like a great way to make extra money we provide all of that training for people and we say to them we're like look as a result of our relationship with Kajabi here's our affiliate link we get to give you 30 days as a free trial but as a result of that that Kajabi will you know give us a um, an affiliate commission as part of that and I think that's okay because we're very transparent and people know and if they disagree with that that then they can go onto the website and get 14 days free but that's kind of our way that Kajabi doesn't pay us in a way, but that's our way of supporting what we're doing to help people if we're providing it for free. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one thing to run a business, but it's another thing to run a business in an ethical way. Correct. It's so different. And I think you can't replace qualities like transparency, um, ethics, honesty, and these things, I think, give you credibility as a business owner. And I say to people too that... Um, because I've been in business for over 25 years and because I've always been very ethical in everything I do and even from previously when I had my other business that there were even clients or industries that I wouldn't work for and I would be very clear about that and I've even turned down clients saying thank you very much it's not aligned with where we are as a business and I think because of that that's a reason why I've been in business for so long because and and I think it's really important that people remember that that you can be in business and if you do shortcuts it might work initially but it can also get you into a lot of trouble and it can damage your reputation and your reputation is everything in business and as high as you go as quick as you go you can come crashing down you're only as good as like your last you know piece of press coverage or video or, or and even with everything that I do like I'm so conscious that I'm only as good as the last podcast episode I've put out or the last video or the last event I showed up at that I have to continuously keep innovating or people are going to be like who's she if you're working with the SME community in particular, no matter which part of the world you're in, credibility is everything because everybody knows everybody. Totally true. And it's, uh, I mean, it is the SME community because we all know each other. And that's why integrity and transparency and honesty is so important. And this goes for everybody, whether you're you're a man or a woman running a business. Everybody hears about what happens and it can impact the types of clients that you have and who people want to, to work with. Like it might even make it if you're difficult or you're not paying your suppliers, it's going to make you make it difficult for you to go and find decent suppliers to go and work with you as well. Absolutely. So it's really important that you cultivate that reputation that you have I agree with you I couldn't agree with you more actually yeah okay so let's talk about the fun stuff let's talk about law and things that companies need to think about and I I, I wanted to bring you on to talk about this because we're always talking about the fun stuff we're talking about you know the marketing and setting up the business and traveling and doing all these cool things but it doesn't matter where you are in business that law is impacts your business and you need to be compliant with a lot of different areas. Now, every country is different in areas that you need to be compliant, but there's a lot of legal things that it doesn't matter where you are in the world that you need to have um, certain things in place. And I want to start from the very beginning because I almost want to give people a bit of a checklist when they're listening to this 
as a business owner, things that you need to have in place in your business. So standard things that any company should have in place, what are they from a legal perspective? Well, the first thing I'd say you need to do as a business owner is you need to have a risks and liabilities list. Like you need to understand what are your risks and liabilities. That is the first thing you need to have. And this should ideally be in your business plan. Right. Okay, so talk me through examples of what potential risks and liabilities could be for a company. So to simplify risks, look at your what-if scenarios. What could go wrong if this particular situation happened where I could incur a loss or there could be consequences for me? For example, if I don't renew my license on time, would there be a fine? Could I lose something? Would there be any other deterrence imposed by the regulatory authority? Are there any other permits that I need to have for an additional activity that I'm thinking of adding to my business license? So these are all the what-if scenarios we need to think about when we address risks. And liabilities, for example, are where we know this risk exists. We know if this is not undertaken in a proper manner, we could incur losses, but we're still willing to do it anyway. We are working with that liability. Yeah. And, and business owners should be thinking about that. And sometimes people will say, well, it's not important to me because I'm just a startup or it's just me or any of these these sorts of things. And I think it doesn't matter what country you're in or what kind of business you are, that we all carry risks and liabilities on on a certain level as well. And it's important to to think about that and to have have a plan for that as well. Absolutely. Whether you're one founder in a business or two or three, you're thinking of bringing on investors. For example, let me give you an example of a liability. If you're a sole founder in a business, what if something happened to you and you signed safe notes with investors who were not yet on your license? Goodness forbid you passed away. What happens to their investment? Does, does your responsibility and liability in the contracts you've signed pass on to your family to fulfill? It puts your family in a very tricky position. So something that I would recommend single owners to always have, besides your will, of course, think about having key man insurance. Key man insurance helps protect a founder and their families. If something happened to a founder, they were critically ill, for example. It helps protect them and their family if anything went awry. But, you know, a lot of business owners won't get that because they look at it and go, it's too much money. I'm going to risk it. I'm 35 years old. I'm going to risk it. No problem. I'll be fine. And then they get hit by a bus the next day. (laughs) Such a horrible thing to say, Jen. I shouldn't say that. But, you know, another example as well. When I was 38, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm sorry. And I was... You know, I was in a position where, you know, I wasn't very well, but actually because I had no key man insurance for me in the business, I kept working. So I was going to radiotherapy appointments in the morning, dropping my kids at school, going to the hospital, and then turning up at the work at the office and working for half a day because I didn't have that possibility to take time off because I didn't have that insurance and so it's little things like that that I'll raise my hand up and I didn't do that when I was younger because I had that mentality like I don't need to worry about it I'm young I'm in my 30s I'm healthy what's going to happen to me anything can happen to people so we need to be able to have that awareness to to plan for that which is why having risks and liabilities, a list of it, is quite imperative. Like you could have all the most meticulously legal, well-drafted documents in place, right? But if you don't have any practical steps put in place to address really obvious situations of you getting hit by a bus (laughs) or falling critically ill or goodness forbid something worse, it puts you in a very dire circumstance. I do that as part of my planning as well that every year I'll look at things and go right what's the worst possible thing that could happen with here with here with here and it is a little bit like doom and gloom but on the other hand it's quite satisfying to know that if even that crazy worst thing would have happened that you had a plan for that that there is some sort of plan in place that you do have that protection to be able to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I always encourage founders to consider, especially when you're bringing on partners or investors in their business, is think about your liability, personal liability, which a lot of founders have, right? Yes. And actually, this is really important to talk about this. And everywhere in the world, you know, there's different types of ways that you can incorporate your business. So you would have a business that would be a limited liability company or a sole trader. Now, in some countries, you can operate as a sole trader without having to do anything or notify the government or anything like that. Even in the UK, you're able to go and say that you're a sole trader, come up with a name for your business and even set up a bank account with that without even having any certificate of incorporation or anything like that. Where other countries like the UAE is very strict. But What I find interesting is people don't fully understand the liability and the risks that come with that. And they'll look at that and go, well, I'm just going to go this route and be a sole trader because it's the cheaper option. Like, I don't even have to do anything. I'm just going to say I'm a business and I'm a business. Or even in countries like the UAE, it's become very easy that it's very cheap and affordable to set yourself up as a sole trader where it didn't used to be before. What are the risks between sole trader and limited liability company? So when you, the simple and straightforward answer is when you have a sole trader license or an e-trader license, you are contracting in your individual capacity essentially, which means you are personally liable When you set up a limited liability company, it's a separate legal entity on its own. So you are not personally liable, or rather your liability is capped. It's limited to the value of your share capital in the LLC. So no matter what structure you think of setting up, my recommendation is to always consider first if your liability in that structure or that license is limited. And if it's not, you need to find a way to get it limited. The two most common ways... And I'll tell you that on the podcast itself. <laughs> Free legal advice. Yeah. You can have it here on the Women on the Rise podcast. Always helping you. <laughs> so you, you can think about having limitations of liability provisions in the contracts that you sign with suppliers or clients or any third parties. Or you could think of getting good insurance in place. But what's interesting with the insurance is that oftentimes the amount that you end up paying for the insurance works out to pretty much the same amount of money or even potentially more than it would have cost you to set up a limited liability company in the first place, right? Not not always, Jen. It really depends on the coverage as well. Yeah. So you could have, say, for example, we, we maintain professional indemnity insurance. Mm-hmm. So we pay a reasonable, a reasonable amount in premium. Yeah. So I really do think, given the scope of your business and the, what you're trying to protect, given the risks that you could possibly mm-hmm. incur, you'd rather pay the premium. Totally. But do you know what? Everybody needs insurance. So everybody, it doesn't matter what kind of business you have, you need to have insurance, right? And if you don't have insurance, have a contract. And where you can afford both, have both. Yes. Yeah. But it is, um, at a lot of companies, and it depends upon the country that you're in, that legally there will be a requirement that you have certain types of insurance in place for your business. But business owners don't always do it, especially if there's not a mechanism where it's verified or checked. And that, again, is a risk in itself, right? Because it's not a problem and it's saving you money until it becomes a problem. Yeah, I think liability, personal liability, especially is something so crucial and important for founders to consider. It's absolutely necessary that the first thing you do when you set up a business or you take over a business, you need to look at what is your liability? What is your exposure here? Make a list of your risks, um, your what if scenarios and see how you can limit liability in worst case situations. Do you know, I always looked at it like, can I lose my house or not? (laughs) From the time that I've been an entrepreneur, it's always, that's always been the thing for me. 
on like, is this going to put my personal life at risk? Is it going to put my house at risk? And that for me has always been why I've always had limited liability companies because I'm like, I am not losing my house. No. You know, but also as well, it means that you need to make smart decisions and protect your business as well. And I think, Jen, setting up a limited liability company is the best thing you could do for yourself when you set up a business. It yeah. is the most commonly used vehicle or structure for SMEs yeah. and something that I personally always recommend. Yeah. Okay, so we've looked at structure. Let's say we've got all of our structure right and that's all good. Other foundational things that business owners need. So one of the first things people do when they set up a business is they create a website. So what do we need to think about with your website? It's not just a matter of going on to Wix or Elementor or Kajabi if you're like us um, and creating a website that there's other things from a legal perspective you need to think about. So you, you, the first thing you need to consider, I'd say, is whether your website is going to be interactive in any way with the public or the users of your platform. Uh, are they going to be sharing any personal data with you? Are there any features on your platform that interacts with the user? And by that, so, so just to explain that, so that would be, for example, every business owner one of the first things you need to do is you need to have email addresses. You want to have contact details of people. So that means, let's say, for example, if you were encouraging people to sign up for a mailing list or grab a freebie or what we call a lead magnet, that they would have to fill in a form that would be submitted on your website and then you would have their details. So that means that they would be exchanging the information, correct? Correct. I wish it were as simple as I've got the data and now I can use it the way I please. Oh, data. Oh, this gets so complicated as well, right? So we're going to talk about data because I want to talk about the whole journey. But first of all, so we're talking about exchanging information. So that means privacy policy? A robust privacy policy, not one that's copied from somebody else. Do you know how many businesses do that? A lot. And, you know, I hear this from some of our business owners that they'll be like, would you believe that like this competitor has copied my privacy policy? And I know they've copied my privacy policy because they forgot to remove my name. <laughs> like it's it's crazy that what people will do to save money. But that's such a risk to do that as well, that it's you need something it's a big risk, for your Jen. business. And, and the reason why it's a risk is because from a practical perspective, how you collect data and what you do with it, who you share it with, where you store it, how long you store it for, it's going to be so different, right? How you do it with your business vis-a-vis -vis how I do it with my business, for Correct. example. Yeah. And that in itself is a huge risk because you can't lie on your website. It has yeah. to be very accurate. Um, the other thing on the website as well, if you're having any transactions, if you're doing any sales on your website, you also need to have terms and conditions, right? Talk me through that. So it gets <laughs> so tricky, right? many small businesses don't have terms and conditions. If you're listening to this and you don't have terms and conditions, you need to have terms and conditions. So I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that question because that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, okay, let's try not, let, let's stay on the surface because you're right that it is a bit of a, a rabbit hole, but I think it's important for people to understand if they're transacting online. So for example, like Female Fusion, we're selling memberships. So we sell a digital membership. You buy your digital membership online or we also have a number of other digital products that we sell. So we need terms and conditions to go with that. So let's look at your website as your kingdom, right? Female Fusion. Let's, let's, yeah. let's take Female Fusion okay. as an example. So say you own the Female Fusion domain and that's your little kingdom. You decide who comes into your kingdom, how long they stay for, what they do, what they buy, what they don't buy, and how they do it. So the more interactive features you have, allowing a user to interact with you and do whatever they want to do or can do or cannot do on your website are all things that you need to list in your kingdom's terms and conditions. Mm. Think of it as the rules of your kingdom. Got it. Okay. So the, the, the more complex your platform is, the more intricate your terms and conditions need to be. And what, what you're talking about as well, I think it's where you need to look at a number of what if scenarios, right? So 
somebody buys this from my website, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? What is our policy for that? Because this is where I see that people get stuck, that they have gone and bought a template off of the internet, and we'll speak about that in a second as well. But they, they buy something generic, and it's all good until it's not. And then if you have a problem and somebody wants a refund or says that something's faulty and it's not mentioned as part of your terms and conditions, it kind of leaves you up a creek without a paddle, so to speak. Yeah, so it's very important with your terms and conditions. So you address all the features of what a user can and cannot do in your terms and conditions. In addition to that, and it's a very valid point that you made, all the policies that you have and can think of, shipping, delivery, um, cancellation, complaints, all these policies need to be on your platform. As clear as mud, yeah. as they say in yeah, English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it's even things, I saw a situation with a business the other day where she was saying that a customer had bought a product, used a product for like 18 months and then sent the product back and said, I would like a refund because I'm not happy with the wear and tear. <laughs> and it's like, I, I, but she didn't have anything in her terms and conditions to protect that either. So that was like a whole thing that it, it's all these things that we need to think about. And sometimes even the craziest things like, what if this happened? What if that happened? How about that? So then you've got that, you've almost got the, the moat around your kingdom, I guess, in a way, protecting you, right? Yeah. You've, you've got your foreseeable and you've got your unforeseeable that we like to call force majeure. Yeah. And then you've got the bizarre, like the one that you <laughs> <laughs> But you do, like, and I think if you talk to any business owner, especially one who has products, that they, there will always be an element of crazy, that they will always yeah. have at least one crazy story. I think you have crazy in all anything you try everything. and sell on the internet. <laughs> Even in business, I think sometimes you do have people who just see it as a bit of a game that want to see if they can try and if they can push and try and find a loophole somewhere, it's a bit of a game. Yeah, that's my job, finding loopholes, right? Yes, <laughs> and that is why lawyers can be very beneficial. Yeah. Um, before we talk about other things, I want to talk about um, templates and it is quite a popular thing around the world that there will be companies that will sell templates, especially for certain markets. Like it's very big in like America, Canada, Australia, UK, not so common in other European markets or, or the Middle East, but there will be companies who will sell legal templates for terms and conditions, privacy policies, um, contracts with customers, all of these non-disclosure agreements that they will sell templates. Now I was talking to to one woman who I know who sells templates in, in another market and she was saying to me that the templates are fine the way that they are. She said, but the moment that anybody changes the template that she has no legal liability for drafting that and she was saying that that's one thing that she puts it in her terms and conditions and she makes it clear and she spells it out and everything else but still people don't realize that that the reason why the price is lower is that you are not having a lawyer draft it for your specific situation the thing that gets me about templates is it's they're great to have as an initial start but yeah. if you don't have the experience in how to amend them that's a problem. And there are so many things, like you just mentioned, Jen, so many little things that you need to look up, look when you take on a template. For example, do you know who the lawyer was who drafted it, what their experience is? Were they experienced in the commercial transactions that your business really provides, for example? Whether, they, whether the template is for civil law or common law, what jurisdiction it is for? How old is this template? Because yeah. templates need to evolve as well, right? Well, laws change, right? And laws so it needs change. to be up to date. Exactly. But do you know when you buy a template whether it's updated? Do they, does the provider give you any guarantees? With templates, you never have any guarantees. And how then do you also account for experience? Something has to be said for practical experience, right? Yeah. Well, and that's why you go to university for so long. 
you go to university. <laughs> it's like the lawyer, the doctor, all of these people why we're specialized in what we do that you can't take away from the, the years of experience. But w- what you said is also true as well is that, look, sometimes there's some people when they start up in business that they're on a massive shoestring. And a number of business owners have been there that you're like, okay, I'm going to take a punt at this. I'm going to hope it's going to work. I'm on a limited budget until I get my sales to a certain level. And having something is better than nothing. If you're not going to do anything, at least if you have something. But then when your business grows, it's really important that when you start making that money, that your business needs to be properly protected or that's a massive risk, right? Yeah, but the bigger risk I see, Jen, with when people start using templates when they're on a shoestring budget, they say, okay, I'll do it. You know, one day I will do it. And then yeah. the business gets and bigger don't. and they don't. Yeah. So when is that someday I'll get it done? When does your shoestring budget become a bigger budget and then you've forgotten to account for the legal risks and the liabilities that you should have accounted for? When do you upgrade? Is there a trigger? Should be in the business plan. It should be in the <laughs> business plan that you should have had. That you should have had. That not everybody does, right? Another thing that business owners can sometimes get themselves into a pickle about, and I think it's useful to get a legal perspective on that, is data and how they handle data, how they communicate with people, how they're sending things out. For example, emails. Some businesses will not want to go and spend the money to have an email service provider and do all the marketing from their personal email account. Um, Sometimes it will even be a Gmail or a Hotmail account or whatever it is, and they won't even have a customized domain. I want to just dive into a little bit about data, data protection, the importance of that from business owners. And also, and again, it really varies depending upon jurisdiction, but the impact that um, GDPR has on so many different markets around the world. So the GDPR is considered to be the golden standard, right? And the UAE has pretty much followed that golden standard. So we are equally strict, I would say. That's great. As great as GDPR, as close as we can get to GDPR. And I think most countries are kind of very similar, except for maybe America. They're not so strict when it comes on things, things like that compared to, to Europe or some of the other markets, but they you do have a liability if you were contacting people in those markets to behave that way. When you get data, when you're collecting data, so the rules under GDPR and the UAE, rules, federal rules and regulations around personal data are quite clear. So when you're collecting personal data especially, you need to be very careful. You need to have consent for all the data you're collecting. Now you can have generic consent, provided those terms are very clear. Yeah. But... Which you need on your website if you're collecting. (laughs) That's correct. Do we need to go back to that? Yes. (laughs) Yes, we need to go back to that. So you need to be very clear about why you're collecting that data. And this is relevant for businesses everywhere in the world. Like this is international business best practice. You need to be clear on that. You can't, like, for example, I see people sometimes that they'll go to a networking event, especially those who like to grab all the business cards, which is why I never have business cards. I don't like business cards. But I know some people that they'll collect business cards and then hand it to someone on their team and go add them to our mailing list. That's yeah. not allowed, is it? That's It's not allowed because you don't have consent. Had you taken consent, consent that you can prove allows you to add their name to a mailing list, that's okay. But if you can't prove it, that's going to become a problem, right? So you need to have consent for what you're going to do with that personal data. If you're going to share it with third parties, you need to be clear about who those third parties are. Actually, that's a really important thing. So sharing of data with third parties. um, And businesses need to be careful about this. And I've seen this in several countries around the world. Let's say, for example, you decide to do a partnership or you are sponsored by a specific 
organization. And they say to you, okay, as part of our sponsorship, we want you to give us everybody's email address who comes to the event that we sponsor or um, who is on your mailing list or whatever it is. Sometimes companies, because they're like, oh, but I'm getting all of this money. This is so great. That's fine. I'll just give them my data. Not allowed to do that. Short of the long, no. You yeah. cannot, you must not, you should not. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. And this, uh, for example, when we work with sponsors, that we have sponsors that will try doing that and they'll say, um, but we, you need to give us the mailing list. And we're like, absolutely not a chance because that is part of our reputation and that we do not sell any of the information to third parties we don't share it to third parties the only time that we would do that like let's say it would be for an ex like a specific event or a project that maybe we were doing something together and then we would ask for specific consent to do that or and or if you were asked by by the government or a regulatory authority to make that disclosure then you don't yes. have an option then you don't have an option but that's different right but it's it's different if you have somebody who sponsors an event and says well we just want to market to them so give us their email addresses you don't want to say yes to that absolutely not unless you have consent if you have consent yeah. that's okay okay so we've nailed that one down now the next area i want to talk about um and i think like this whole podcast people should have a pen and a paper handy because we're going through a lot in here <laughs> but the other area i want to talk about like the essentials that business owners need so contracts first one service contract service contracts with your clients your suppliers any third parties that you are going to be dealing with in your business make a list of those third parties and have contracts curated for all those third parties that is the first thing you should have it's always good handy to have also ndas or non-disclosure agreements yeah if you like. So non-disclosure agreements with third parties and non-disclosure agreements with consultants, freelancers, interns, employees, and full-time or part-time employees that yeah. you may have. They're quite different, by People the way. People forget that. People forget that. Yeah. And then it puts your business at risk. It needs to be on your list that you're putting down <laughs> for all the potential risks that you might have. Every business has confidential information. And yeah. don't underestimate the power of a non-disclosure agreement. If, if your non-disclosure agreement is badly drafted, then yes, it's a paper tiger. But if it's drafted well, it can be a real tiger, in the courts of law at least. And again, I think that's the same for any country, anywhere, having those non-disclosure agreements, service contracts. Um, what's important for service contracts as well, and I've learned this over the years with having businesses in many countries, is that you need to be very clear on kind of what law applies and where it applies and it can get a little bit challenging when you're doing work cross-border so if you're trying to um, come up with a contract with a company or an organization from a completely separate country and that's where sometimes you can have a bit of a, a battle about oh well what country is going to have jurisdiction and I mean, you, you can advise better, but I've always found that I've always pushed as much as possible to have it in the country where I have my business. So it makes it easier for me if I do need to make a claim to be able to do it somewhere where it feels a little bit safer. Well, quite, quite the contrary, I'd say, because you need to think about your business and think if something were to go awry and I need to make a claim where I need to enforce, how can I enforce it? in the courts, the jurisdiction of the other party's mm. domicile. Yeah. So how, if you were in UAE, you sign a contract, say with somebody in the UK. Yeah. How were you, how would you enforce a judgment that you receive here? It would be long, expensive, arduous. Yeah. So your better option would be for you to be UK. able to enforce it in yeah. the UK. And it would be easier as well. And more cost effective. <laughs> Small claims court in the UK, very efficient. Yes. So that's something So we call the governing law and dispute resolution clause a golden clause, especially when it comes to um, cross-border transactions. That is the one clause you have to think about extremely carefully when you draft it. 
So uh, there's always lots of stories from small businesses who get themselves in a pickle that they have a client or a customer that doesn't pay. To hell is all its time. We hear this all the time. All over the world. Um, the UAE is particularly bad for this. Um, but I've, I, I see it in other markets as well. But oftentimes, if you go back and look at the situation, the small business owner is oftentimes to blame. And the reason why I say that is that oftentimes there's been a request for work. They get so excited that they've been offered this work and they're like, oh, I'm just going to start working. They're going to pay me. And then something might happen, you know, worst case scenario, and they don't get paid or the payment is delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, what advice would you give to, to business owners about that? You are setting up a business to make money. It's a for-profit company. That's the lifeline of your company. Yeah. You need to make sure that your contract, your payment policy, your payment follow-up mechanism and collection mechanism is absolutely robust. And when you say you have a policy, timelines, follow them through. We get clients coming to us, small business owners, coming to us with payment delays of years. It becomes <laughs> difficult. Yes, you have a claim, but I don't know what the status, the legal status is of the company that you've been claiming this money for, especially if you don't have a contract, it becomes even harder for me to be able to recover that for you. And I think that this is where it's great if you have your own contract that you're able to go, even if it's like a rush job or something urgent, that you can put that contract in front of them and be like, here's my contract, let's get it signed, um, and then we can start work. Because sometimes they'll use the delay of, oh, but you know, it's with our legal team or it's going to take us wealth to get internal approvals. So here you go. Here's the contract. You just need to go and sign this and then we can get started. And so that's really great to have that within your arsenal as well. The most important thing I would also say to business owners is if you're agreeing payment terms with, with the other party, put that in the contract and sign it right away, like you said. Yes. But better yet, even if you're negotiating a settlement and the other party says, yes, I'll pay you in a month, I'll pay you in two months, three months, get it in writing. Yeah. That's all you have to do. As long as you can get it in writing, as lawyers, we can help you enforce it in some manner. Yeah. WhatsApp messages, um, not as easy. <laughs> and sometimes people will be like, oh, but I just had it in a WhatsApp message that they confirmed okay. You know, it, it's really important to go and have those contracts and to have something that you can use for yeah, that the, as yeah, well. Yeah, the thing is with WhatsApps, yes, we can try and use yeah. them in courts or arbitration. But it also depends whether you've been WhatsApping or sending WhatsApp messages to the authorized person in the company, right? Yeah. And that that's important to know, too, that when you're signing contracts, that you are doing it with the right people within the company. Absolutely. You need to deal with either the ultimate beneficial owners, UBOs, as yeah. you like, like to fondly call them, or a valid power of attorney holder. Yeah. Yeah, it can't just be anybody within the organization. Correct. So so those are sort of some of the the essentials that small businesses need to think about. What are other some other legal documents that small businesses should be thinking about? Well, if they're thinking of bringing on investors on board or they have more than one partner, I'd say think about having either a founders agreement if you're two or more founders or a shareholders agreement. Or if investors are coming on board, have correct investment-related documents to them, giving them reassurance of their investment, protecting their investment, protecting your rights as a founder as well. Okay. And for corporate, corporate governance perspective, I always recommend having signed appropriate shareholder or board resolutions. I know it's something small business owners detest. They do. But corporate governance is something that's so critical and important yeah. because how do you record important business decisions you've made over the years in your business? You need to have a record of it. But many times, business owners will set up a business with a partner or a spouse or maybe their friend, their childhood friend, university friend. Um, and oftentimes they'll go, I don't need to do that. 
this is with my husband. Totally trust him. <laughs> it's like, what could go wrong? All the time. I see this all the time that people are like, why am I going to spend the money on this? I trust my husband. But it's not just about trust. Things could be perfectly fine between yourself and your business partner, right? But when you want to bring in, say, a sophisticated investor, like a venture capital firm into your business, you can't just say, we've been running this business on the basis of WhatsApp decisions, and we've made decisions in our living room, right? You have to have records of all the decisions you've made. And having that in a proper data room gives investors that are incoming more reassurance that they're dealing with a sophisticated business. And you you speak about that of the, the data room and that's something that businesses, as you grow, as you scale and you start to look at either exiting or getting investment, you, you need to be thinking about a lot. As a business grows, what are other things that they need to be thinking about from a legal perspective to help support that growth as a business? So your contracts need to be reviewed in a timely manner. So it's not okay for you just to have contracts at inception or midway through and then you leave them, then you continue using them. So I'd say every three to five years, review your contracts. Also get insurance. Get the right insurances in place with additional activities, scale, growth. The more employees you have, your insurance will need to be buffered through the years. Yeah, that's excellent to to think about as well. Because the, this is, I think sometimes people are so busy growing that they forget about that. That it's like, whoa, we're doing great. I'm hiring new people. We're getting new office. We're doing, you know, expanding with all of these clients or these new products. And some of those little things get forgotten about, which is fine until there's a problem. Yeah, I'd say, and if you have a friendly lawyer on board, try and run a legal audit every two or three years because lawyers will help you identify any loopholes or any oversights. Interesting. I was reading an article um, that somebody had posted on LinkedIn the other day, and this was written by a founder who had exited a few businesses. And his advice was, if you are setting up your business, don't waste your money on lawyers. You can do it all yourself. Learn about the law. It's better for you to know this in your business. You don't need a lawyer. So I found that was really interesting seeing that. Um, and I also felt like it was a little bit dangerous to go and say that because I thought, oh, a lot of small businesses are going to look at that and go, see, I was right. I don't need to spend any money on, on lawyers or contracts or templates. I can do it all myself. I'd like to concur. But, you know, there's a reason why when you go to law school, it's about five to seven years. There's a reason why you study that long. It's let me give you a different analogy. Right. If I had to give you a scalpel or a whole surgery kit and say, here are a few videos and a few articles on the Internet, research gallbladder surgery really well. And here's a human specimen that I'd like you to perform gallbladder surgery on. Can you imagine how risky that is? There is a reason why certain professions study for years and years and then train and intern. Then you have so many years of practice to be able to give the advice in five minutes or 10 minutes of perform surgeries in 15 or 20 minutes. Correct. And it does. I think it's what 8000 hours of actual continual practice for actually mastering a skill as well. So a couple of YouTube videos aren't going to help that you know there's all of the education and then completely doing it again and again and again too and also think about your time if you're not a specialized lawyer you're wasting your time and you could be doing something that you're good at I wish more business owners would see that rather than saying oh no no I'm gonna do it all myself to look at it strategically and go right so I could spend 30 hours working out how to do this to save myself $1,000, $5,000, $10,000, or I could go and take those hours instead and put it into my business that's actually going to add value to my business or bring money into the business and take that money and give it to the expert in whatever it is. When you appoint a lawyer, Jen, you're not appointing somebody for a template. I'd be known as a template lawyer if that were the case, right? Everybody (laughs) would, (laughs) right? But, But we're not. 
the reason why you appoint a lawyer is not just for their time or for a template. It's for their experience, for their counsel, to have good advice or good advisors on the sideline advising you. And that's what founders need in their business. They need an army of good advisors supporting them. Yeah. You know, there's a saying, right? It takes a village to build a business. Yeah, it does. Well, and you do need a village around you to build your business from everything, from having the network to the suppliers, to the advisors, to everything. It takes a lot to build that business over many years. So if you're trying to template something that you really shouldn't, I would say it's not in your best interest to do it. But if it's a risk that you want to take, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> I like that. You're on your own, buddy. Uh, so I want to leave the law side for a moment. And I want to hear about your new startup. So you've gone all fintech on us. Yes. You've got a fintech startup. What's that about? So Obsecure Technologies. Obsecure is um, compliance in Latin. Okay. We got a bit of a tongue twister there, but we thought, oh, anyway, it matches what we're trying to do. So it's an EKYC platform. It's one solution for EKYC, sanction screening, continuous monitoring, record keeping, liveness check. So it does the whole nine yards for designated non-financial business owners. Okay, so we're going to have to back up because that was a whole lot of jargon. Now, <laughs> I understand it, but I think some people are going to be listening to that and going, huh? What did Bianca just say? So let's explain it to people, EKYC, first of all, um, a lot of people are going to be like, what is Bianca talking about? What is that? Electronic, know your customers. So especially when you're trying to onboard a client, who know who they are, what they do, where their source of funds comes from. And certain businesses that are non-financial businesses all over the world, by the way, are mandated to do KYC on their, on their um, clients. So a lot of businesses like law firms, or corporate service providers, or auditors, financial advisors, they do it manually now. So what you get in your inbox is, is a Word document or an Excel document where they ask you to fill in reams and reams of paper. Now, it can be quite exhausting. So what we've done is we've created an online solution where it's so easy, and I'd, I'd like to say it's almost a joy to fill it out. <laughs> Just upload your documents, and it, it's all done on the spot. It's so easy. Instead of taking two days or three days, it takes you 10 minutes. And is your plan for this, is it just going, it's just in the UAE right now, but is this going to be a global solution or are you just targeting the UAE market? I love the UAE, which is why we decided, myself and my co-founders, to make it a UAE homegrown solution. But believe you me, it's going to be borderless. Amazing. And I love this about having businesses in the UAE and what I think is so cool about being here is there's lots of big ideas and big visions and let's try it and do it. And you can build a business very easily in this country and then take it global. And the great thing about being here is that it's kind of the center of the world and you can get to so many places so easily. And we love Emirates as well. What a fantastic airline. <laughs> For me, I'm like, oh, if it's not Emirates, I don't know if I want to fly. <laughs> um, but it's so great as well that it's such a great hub for the whole world as well, that it makes it such a no-brainer to have a business here. I concur fully with you. It's just so much easier setting up a business in the UAE. If you ask me, do I want to set up a business anywhere else in the world? Never. I would never think twice. My heart is in UAE. I would do it in a heartbeat all over again. So maybe this time next year, Jen, I could be on a whole different trail setting up another business. You never know. I suspect you probably will be. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things when you when you get started setting up businesses and it is so exciting to be able to bring your vision and your idea to the world and to see the impact that it's having you're like I've got an idea for a new one why don't we try that absolutely and with Obsecure I think what we are going to do different to what a lot of other startup founders are doing is we're going to bring in investors selectively we're only going to look at strategic investors and we're going to bring in investors post-revenue we're going to build a working business because what I really want to do with Obsecure is show investors that we're making money and we're going to be one of those unique startups that's going to give you a dividend, believe it or not. Mm. Well, maybe after people listen to this, they might be inspired to go and contact you about investing. Sounds great to me. Join the wait list. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Bianca, 
Thank you so much for sharing your legal wisdom and sharing your vision about your business and some of the things that you're doing for your variety of businesses. And thank you just for being so amazing within Female Fusion as well, because you do support so many small businesses and you actually were the, the winner of one of the awards that we had for Female Fusion as well. Um, this year too which was your service to the community and supporting so many members so thank you so much for that as well thank you for having me and thank you for the award and that was the highlight of my 2023 in fact it was the highlight of I think the past five years of my life it's just so much joy working with female fusion it's one of the communities that is so unique I can say hand on heart, there is no other community for female business owners in the world like Female Fusion, which is why I'm so proud. I wear it with so much pride that I'm one of the founding members of this community. And I always want to be, I want to continue being associated with it. Thank you so much, Bianca. That's like, that makes my heart sing. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. As business owners, we need to focus on our personal brand, but I know that that can feel really overwhelming for some entrepreneurs. And so I have created Female Fusion's personal branding templates. And this toolkit basically has a template for you to create your own profile, which is great if you're pitching for events or if you are trying to have press coverage. And I have also provided for you a template that you can use on Canva to create your own pitch sheet to appear on other people's podcasts because podcasts are a great way to increase your personal brand and we need brilliant photos and we have put together a pitch sheet on how you put together your brief for doing your own photos as well. So all you need to do is go to femalefusionnetwork.com forward slash brand and the personal branding template kit is there for you to go and purchase.